everyone. Welcome to episode 35 of the Avocado Games Cast, the Avocado's gaming podcast. We're all very busy people, and sometimes it's hard to find time to play video games, let alone record a podcast. So today we're going to be chatting about how we fit games into our lives. Where and when do we play games? How we balance games with other leisure activities? You know, there are lots of questions. There are a lot of questions we could ask. Uh, but before we get to that, let's introduce ourselves. My name's Merv, and joining me... His head says Gran Turismo, but his heart says Burnout Paradise. It's DL. Thank you for having me on. And uh, that introduction is funnier when you know the truth. And finally, he's hoping that Mac and Sweet D are the next Overwatch heroes. It's the Kappa. Hey, what's up, guys? So what is the truth, DL, about uh, um, racing games? Racing is... Actually, racing games are, are not too bad. Uh, it's just that real-life racing is way more spreadsheets and sitting in a shop building things than it is actually being on track. So real racing is more like Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts than it is like Gran Turismo? Oh, very much so, yes. Uh, I would say it's more like um, even Armored Core, where you spend your hours and hours poring over the latest builds. Oh, so it's, you know what it reminds me of? Like the, like the pocket circuit racing mini game from the Yakuza series where you spend like hours customizing the pocket car and then the actual race is just like pressing one button over and over again. In, actually, yeah, because especially from our line of work when you have a professional driver, you're only preparing the car for someone else to crash. <laughs> Uh, trust me, pocket circuit racing has a lot of crashes. Um, so, before we dive into the main topic of discussion, I just want to know what you guys have been playing lately. Uh, Kappa, what have you been playing? Uh, well, a lot of Fortnite, and this might surprise you, uh, not Fortnite Battle Royale. I love Fortnite Save the World mode. Um, I rarely hear it talked about. When I tell people I play Fortnite, they kind of roll their eyes because they assume I'm talking Battle Royale. Um, but Save the World is about as close to a hidden gem as you can get in a game where the other half of it is the most popular game in the world right now. Um, I, have you guys at all heard or seen anything about the Save the World mode of Fortnite? So I know that Fortnite has like the, the kind of classic mode. And I know it has the Battle Royale mode, but I don't, I don't know about its other game modes. Yeah, yeah. So classic mode might be save the world mode at least what maybe you're talking about so um battle royale was kind of a spin-off mode of, of fortnite where the game itself was if you go to buy fortnite um yeah. you'd, you'd be buying save the world or classic mode uh the free part of fortnite is the battle royale mode which is you know taking the world by storm um <clears throat> but the save the world mode is a really interesting uh a mode that i think if you're a fan of kind of like diablo games or tower defense games or just kind of grindy building shooter games, which there aren't really any of. Um, this is a game you might want to give a shot. I think it's about twenty bucks, so we're not talking about you know a full price type thing. Um, really intriguing gameplay. Uh, lots of menus that are really complicated at first, but slowly start to make sense. It's kind of like jumping into something like Diablo three at first. Um, is the best way I can describe it. You know, you've got. You've got gear, you've got heroes, you've got helpers, you've got squads, you've got skills, you've got research. I mean, it all kind of throws it all at you really quick. Um, but once you start to kind of make sense of the mess of menus, 
the gameplay loop of Fortnite Save the World itself is really fun. Um, the uh, the um, general idea is you start a match, um, and as soon as the match starts, you have to basically mine for materials, usually metal, wood, brick. Each one does um, something different. You can build. Metal has more hit points, but is more vulnerable to water types, stuff like that. So you kind of have to figure out what's going on in the map. You build up, um, you go around, you collect your materials, you do your, your side missions, you explore the map. Then usually the last part is kind of like a defend mode where you have to defend an objective. Uh, typically what that means is you build a fort, hence Fortnite, uh, around the objective. You put in traps, you you know, kind of force the uh, zombies to go either way. Um, and then you fight them, uh, you activate the fort and fight them. Uh, along the way, you get items, you get drops, you get loot, you get all kinds of stuff like that. Um, so th there's a lot to it, um, yeah. a lot more than I think that the average person would expect there to be in it. How long um, does an actual match last? It seems like I'd say about 30 on. minutes. Um, it can be shorter based on, let's say, you come into the map and it's just you and a couple friends and you guys have all your materials, you haven't used them. Um, so you've got your materials, you're running out there, you're doing what you can. Um, that, that material farming phase usually takes about 10 minutes. Then there's about 10 minutes of going around doing the various quests on the map. So like you might have a quest to go kill all the, you know, a certain type of enemy. So you're hunting around for them. I might have a quest to find and blow up televisions. So I might be doing that. Um, but we're kind of roaming the same map doing our own things. Um, and this is, this is cooperative, right? Yes. Co-op. Yeah, it sounds like Minecraft horde mode in a way. It does. It does. Um, so you've got four people in there with you. You're doing your own thing. Um, usually with friends, it's a lot more fun like any co-op game. But even with random people, it's usually it's usually pretty good. You're going to find a lot of people who just play it just to get the V-Bucks, which are the virtual currency um, that uh, that you can spend either in Save the World mode or Battle Royale mode. So with Battle Royale mode being as popular as it is, what you get is a lot of people that drop in um, – and they'll be, just be doing the V bucks for their own um, their own kind of pur purposes. In other words, they want to buy this, right? Yeah, they want to farm and they want to get the skins. Um, they want to get the skins and buy the skins, so they're they're getting their five hundred whatever V bucks for the month. Um, but it, it doesn't matter why they're playing it. So sometimes you'll get some levers or AFKers, but I think that's kind of the nature of any co op game. Um, but I, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, building a fort is really fun. You get uh, persistent forts. Um, each one, there's about four levels. And each one, you get a persistent fort that you can build up and customize as much as you want. A lot of people use that to make, like, like racetracks. Or, I mean, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Huge, giant <laughs> castles. Um, so you've got that kind of persistent. Each stage kind of is not so much persistent. Uh, tons and tons of weapons with lots of random rolls on them, lots of stuff to get into uh, as far as um, traps and, and, and things like that. Tons of heroes. It, it, there's a lot to this game um, than than most people would probably expect. But the <clears throat> reason I'm kind of talking about this game is because there's a lot of rumors swirling that Battle Royale is so popular that they're just going to kind of shut down Save the World. As you guys might know, Epic did exactly that with another game that they were working on. Um, because Battle Royale basically got so popular, like, look, this is our cash cow right now. Everybody's going over to this game. Um, so they're worried that Save the World might suffer the same fate eventually. Um, so 
you know, hopefully before it does, uh, some people start kind of catching on to it and, and pick it up from where it is right now. Which which would be the shame uh, because it would be a shame because it was, if I remember correctly, Fortnite was part of Epic's big Unreal Engine four push. Like it was the game that used to show off Unreal Engine four. It was still new. Um. So and this was the mode they originally showed it off with, and it the reception to it was positive. It just didn't seem to catch on as much as you know PUBG and its ilk have. Yeah. So, so I, w- I would really, I mean, if if you've got the cash or, you know, if you even can just check out videos of it, um, it might be something that I think a lot of people now, when they hear Fortnite, their brain goes right to Battle Royale. But this original mode, classic, save the world, whatever you want to call it, there's enough there um, that if people are kind of interested in that style of gameplay, they should check it out. But it yeah. also seems sort of ironic that they would uh, they would try to steer people away from the $20 co-op mode when... They're basically giving away the battle royale for free. Well, that would, would want seem to, like, like it, but they've made over a billion dollars already on the battle royale mode uh, through um, battle pass sales and uh, gotcha. microtransactions. And the microtransactions in battle royale mode, I will say, are very fair. Um, there are nothing but cosmetic. Um, so you know, but the thing is, when the game is that popular and everybody's playing it, you know, you got to buy a couple skins here and there, or you're gonna look like everybody else. So uh, very quickly those totals add up very, very fast when you've got, you know, a free-to-play game with, with $10 skins. Yeah, it starts to add up. But uh, Save the World itself, I think there's also different levels to it um, as far as, you know, what you can do. So a lot of the Battle Royale players do play Save the World, at least just like I was saying for the virtual currency. Um, but but with such a low price entry point, I think for... I think most people would, would call 20 bucks a pretty low price entry point for a game that does this much. Um you know, I'd yeah. encourage people to give it a shot and, and at least see if it scratches that Diablo-ish itch kind of in a different way. Yeah, one would hope, but, you know, Lawbreakers was a $30 entry point, and now you can't get more than, like, 10 concurrent oh, players. Yeah, this game has a, a million times more stuff going on than Lawbreakers, though. That's okay. the one. That, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a team shooter. The heroes you get are all, I mean, there's probably 50 of them. They're all pretty unique, so um, okay. there, there's a lot more going on. Yeah. I just wanted to pour one out for Lawbreakers because that was a decent game that just oh, no. kind of died. Cliffy B had had got what he had coming. I think um, I, he made his, his made his name in Microsoft, and the fact that he kind of went hard in uh, anti Microsoft, I think, was a mistake for him. And then I don't know if people want to play that kind of game anymore. Um, that's just a guess. Yeah, I mean, probably marketing did them no favors. And, you know, it gets marketed as, like, this hardcore shooter for hardcore gamers, then, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the people, not to, not to denigrate more casual players, because I think they're, they're you know, completely valid and valuable, um, but a lot of them are gravitating towards, you know, games like Fortnite and PUBG that are a little more, I don't know if I'd say beginner-friendly, but, I don't know, a little more, more welcoming, at least from a marketing perspective, and maybe that's why, you know... Uh, yeah, I've got I've got a lot of thoughts on Fortnite. Um, there's actually a really good uh, I think it was Polygon article about why is Fortnite so popular, um, and we've talked about it here before. Um, it's gifable, right? Like yeah. you can ex- you you can gif it. It looks great. It's got great colors. Um, it's very friendly to just drop in and drop out. Like it's got every little button that we would say. Here's what a successful game needs. Um, so I don't think it's by accident. Um, yeah. and I don't think it's by accident that it basically took most of the gameplay from PUBG, but it's beating PUBG pretty badly because PUBG is dark, it, too grim and gritty and realistic. It's buggy. It looks bad. 
You know, um, so everything that I don't think Fortnite's success is an accident. I mean, I think it's. I mean, it, polish is is really important, mm-hmm. which yeah. uh, PUBG doesn't have even in full release. Um, yeah, it's kind of content light. To, only like two maps or whatever. Yeah, I actually tried to Steam return it, and I, I guess I played it for too long. But PUBG on my beast of computer runs awful. I mean, there, there's no excusing it. Um, and yeah, I and Fortnite runs like a dream. I mean, I get 200 frames on it. So oh, nice. there's a lot. There's a lot to be said about making sure your game runs well. Yeah, and PUBG just hasn't invested the effort or doesn't have the resources. Right. Um, DL, what have you been playing? Well, um, actually, with the spring, you know, comes the start of the the summer sports season, and uh, getting in the mood for that, I've been playing golf and baseball in Mario Sports Superstars for the Nintendo 3DS. Oh wow! Yeah, so um, that that's a that's a pretty old game, isn't it? Uh, actually, it only came out in 2017. It was out last year. Oh um, wow! Okay, didn't know that. Um, so and, what do you? Can you tell me a bit about, uh, you said golf and, and soccer, was it? A golf and baseball, baseball, but it also has, it does have soccer, tennis, and, and horse racing. Like steeplechase racing, basically, is what's what's the horse racing in it. Um, and that horse racing section is really more of a cross between riding Epona in uh, Ocarina of Time and Mario Kart with a little bit of... Pokemon Ami a refresh thrown into it from XY and, and Pokemon Moon. Uh, because after you're done racing, you have to brush your horse clean and pet it. So um, uh, that's its own simulation in and of itself. But, but the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the golf and the baseball um, are actually really pretty good. I mean, golf is – it's done by Camelot Software Planning, who does – who's been doing Mario Golf for quite some time. And, yeah, and it's their, they're making the new Mario and, Tennis, right? Uh, yes, they are. In fact, uh, they were the ones who invented Waluigi for the original Mario Tennis uh, on the GameCube. Oh, wow. I didn't know. I assumed Waluigi was older than that for some reason, but yeah. Anyway. No, uh, yeah. When uh, It might have been for the Nintendo 64. I apologize if I don't know. Um, oh, that's um, fine. We can look it up. But, uh, yeah, but uh, uh, Camelot created the character because they wanted a... Uh, an analog for uh, Wario on the Luigi side, but uh, yeah, the golf is always excellent. I've I've loved uh, Camelot's golf game since uh, Advance Tour on uh, on the Game Boy Advance. So is and it? The, yeah, does they use like the like the three click system that they use in, in Golf Story? Is that how tell you golf in that game? Ab- is- absolutely, yeah. It's the standard that a sliding bar where you start and click it at the top end where you want your power and then at the bottom wherever you uh click the bar at the bottom end on either side of zero would be a hook or a slice okay neat um by the way i can confirm uh waluigi first appeared in mario tennis in the year 2000 for the n64 okay good to know Uh, anyway yeah um so that, that sounds like that sounds like fun and what's the 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 tennis game like I haven't played a lot of the tennis, but it's actually pretty standard. It's it's like any of their their uh, tennis games that they've had, where you have a variety of shots that you can choose from. Right. Um, Sorry, and, I had to ask for, about baseball 
Um, but yeah. Oh, that's right. Now, baseball, that's a whole different story. Um, I think it's new for Camelot. They've not really done one because um, Bandai Namco, I believe, did Mario Sports, um, the baseball for the Wii. Okay. Um, and I think they've done the sport justice, considering that, you know, one of the criticisms of superstars, I believe, was that, you know, there's not a lot there to sink your teeth into, but it's genuinely not the point. Um, it's, it's, they're way deeper than mini games in the sense that, um, the nice part about this is you can choose, you choose two of your main roster, like your stars, like Luigi or Daisy, for example. And then you flesh out the rest of your team with, uh, support characters with, you know, the various toads, Koopas and such. And each one has enough variety in both their ability and their aptitudes to really like you can really manage your lineup and play with fielding positions and your batting lineup, just like any sim. And you can save those for later. So if you pick your uh, support cast in the right way, you can actually tune your line, your batting lineup to suit their abilities. Okay, so you uh, do have a lot of flexibility over how you how you build your team and how you deploy them. You really do, yes. And and each character has their own repertoire of pitches. So each one. Um, there's five or six different pitches between everyone has a standard fastball, but there's curves and sliders and fork balls. Um, and each one has their own aptitude towards that. And that's where things get really complicated. Pitching is for me, a hectic affair because I'm used to the RBI baseball method where you press. Well, first of all, you have the batter who will stand in the batter's box for 20 minutes while you can go grab a sandwich. Um, and then when you're ready to pitch, you can, in this, there is a spinning arrow uh, around the baseball. So you, you select your position across the plate. You can slide your, the, your pitch location. You, the view is from behind the pitcher. Okay. Or from, from, the, from the pitcher's mound to the batter's box. You can select your, your uh, pitch location across the plate. And then at the same time, there's this little spinning wheel. And on the outside of that wheel would be where you make your your pitch type selection. So whether you want a curveball or a fastball, you can move around. And, and each one of those uh, pitches has a different clock location around the wheel. So, for so instance, you have to time your, your like, pitch selection correctly. Right. So like a, a fastball is like between 10 and 2 you know, on a clock. And a curveball is between 6 and 9 o'clock, for example. And a slider is out in, in nine and, and a, um, but what's interesting is that each pitcher has their own aptitude. So they may not have every pitch available. And even if they do, some of the wedges are wider than others. So you may want to throw a, a slider with someone, but their little wedge of slice that you have to stop the arrow in is very, very narrow. narrow. Yes. So if you miss it, you you no longer control the location of where you you throw the ball, so then it ends up random. And that on can top hurt, yeah. of that, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh! And and, and the thing is, is at the highest level, you hang anything out over the plate, and and you're done for a home run. Yeah, so, I see. With the higher difficulty levels, you really, really want to select the right pitch for the situation. Yeah, and and you really do have to manage your balls and strikes. You know, you can't just 
try to throw three strikes and hope they miss. It's, you know, you're playing the batter away and, and throwing intentional balls in order to, to try to, to lead them into something. So there is, there is quite a lot of strategy involved both in planning your team and in uh, your pitch selection as well. The strategy yeah. in and out. Yeah, and the worst part is there's a little timer inside the little spinning wheel. So as you're trying to, to get your timing just right after you've chosen which, which part of the clock you want to stop your, your wheel in, but if that little timer goes to zero, the, we, the arrow will stop wherever it happened to be, and you'll just throw. And so that could work in your favor or against you. <laughs> it, 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 it usually works against you. Uh, the other thing is that as your stamina decreases, the little wheel will spin faster. So waiting for the getting that timing just right gets harder. And if you're trying to throw one of those narrow wedge pitches, it gets even more difficult. But you could bring in so like a relief pitcher, right? You can. You can swap out a pitcher. Um, and But you can only swap them out from amongst your – your on-field players so you uh, only swap positions which okay, is okay right you, can, you, you don't necessarily have a bullpen for example or a that bench, makes sense but, you can't have like a like a 20 character roster there aren't enough nintendo characters for that no and in fact um most of the roster consists of different colors of for instance shy guys there's blue red yellow and green shy guys for example ah uh, okay they even, they even dug as deep as uh the squirrel suit toads from uh, Super Mario, New Super Mario Brothers Wii. Okay, I didn't U. even know those existed, Su- but I'll New take Super your Mario word Brothers for it. U. Yeah, when he introduced the squirrel suit in uh, for the Wii U. Good to know. So the toad also had that. So um, on the subject really of, sorry, go ahead. No, it's actually a really good game. Yes. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, on the subject of Mario games, I have been dipping back into Super Mario Odyssey. So I just hit the 500 moon mark, and I've unlocked the last area. Um, just for, for clarification, uh, you don't need 500 power moons to beat the game. Power moons are this game's equivalent to stars, like get stars in Super Mario 64. You add... I think shines something like that. I was like that in the Galaxy game. I I don't really know. I, I don't didn't play that much Galaxy. Uh, but in this shines game, the moons. Sunshine. Sorry. Uh, Sun- so shines were sunshine. Sunshine. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Shine, 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 sunshine. I made a tongue twister out of this now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Super Mario Odyssey. I've been playing that. Hit the five hundred moon mark. Unlocked the last area. Um, which is brutally difficult, and I've tried it about 20 times and died every time, like, on the second or third obstacle. So, uh, yeah, not going to get past there, that anytime soon. There are no lives in Odyssey, correct? There kind no. of are, but... You collect them, so you have so many that you might as well have a oh, infinite well, number of them? You only have You can only take three hits before dying unless you get a life up part which you can take six hits before dying. Uh, and it's recommended that you attempt anything difficult with six, uh, with, with the life up part. Okay. Um, in terms of lives, Cap is right. You don't really have lives in this game, but you sort of do in the sense that every time you die, you lose 10 coins. But if you lose all your coins, you still incur no penalty. 
it just you just kind of like lose your progress i guess is yeah how I would... you okay. lose your progress you go back to the last checkpoint uh and the final area has no checkpoint so good luck with oh. that, eh? <laughs> yeah there but it, it i did want to mention um you know the process of of hunting for to get up to 500 moons it turns out that all the areas that you play through, like you play through the game, you beat the game, and then you uh, you try to do the post-game content and unlock um, the two post-game challenges. You know, when you're searching for, for moons, you're going back to all the areas you've already visited, and you're uncovering all the secrets you didn't see the first time. And these levels, they're not gigantic, but they're still chock full of secrets that you just missed the first time, even if you were exploring pretty carefully. So... You can, like, when I started exploring to, to unlock Lost Areas, something like 300 moons. And just by exploring more and unlocking more challenges, I was able to get an extra 200 moons just by exploring and finding challenges. Which goes to show how much, like, how much work went into each of these levels that they've built. It's pretty impressive. Uh, all, and, and these were these weren't challenges that these weren't challenges these were challenges that were available from the start, right? So, so some of them like were, were and some of them or... weren't. You unlock okay. some challenges when you beat the game. You unlock even more challenges when you beat the first secret area. Okay. So, but I'd say about fifty percent of them were available from the start, and I just didn't even notice. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty dense game yeah and there's kind of like there's in-game ways to kind of help you find some of this stuff um but then a lot of it is is very i think importantly hidden um i actually had to buy the guide for the first time in a while to find some of this stuff in mario uh will help more or less help my kid and wife find it um but yeah there's some stuff in there that's hidden pretty well yeah they even have these puzzles where uh there'll be a painting of some aspect of a level in another level, you take a screenshot of that and you use it to unlock the secret in the other level. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, <laughs> they, they have some really bizarre puzzles. Uh, also, there are some levels that are, like sometimes you'll see a, uh, an out of reach area in a level and you're like, how the hell do I get to that? And it turns out there's a portal in another level that leads to that out of reach area. Like kind of like the Mario sixty four paintings. Yeah, there, there's a lot going on. It. Um, I, I it reminds me a lot of uh, Galaxy. I think that's kind of the the trend that they're going now. And there's a lot more, um, a lot more to find in each game. And and you can play it just fine and have a good time just just doing it the regular way. But there's definitely a lot in the game that that they've they've tried to put in there for people who want to dig into it hard. And, and that's it, right? Is I think that's for me. That's what I see Nintendo doing a lot more is they've. They transitioned uh, for the for a period of time into where they held your hand for everything that you wanted to do because they were afraid of accessibility. And I think what they've figured out is how to scale accessibility in such a a, a, a good way for the general audiences. They've given you the core that you can that most people can complete, but when you get into these situations, they're they're dangling a carrot out in front of you that you need a lot of skill to accomplish. And they're not yeah. going to help you with yeah. it. Yeah, and and some of it goes beyond that. I mean, like even even if you want to try to like get into some of the harder stuff, 
um, it, it's still the same core gameplay you've been doing. It's just more of it, and sometimes with a little bit with a little bit of twist here or there. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, it's not. It doesn't feel like they've created like a super meat boy inside of Mario to really just like beat you up with. Um, everything in there still seems kind of. It, it's still Mario. It's just that the process of, of finding it out and discovering it and getting through it requires a lot more precision and ability um, than usual. Yeah, they've they've managed to to as as DL says, um, like they've they've built in a difficulty curve such that you know reaching the end is possible for most players. Right. Um, and it is access- They've they have a whole bunch of accessibility features like they have a like a guide mode that that kind of walks you through where you know to get all the moons you need on, on the critical path um and then they have you know a two-player mode where you know you can play with your kid and and give mm-hmm. them the controllers so they can control mario's hat uh, so they, they, they've built in a lot of accessibility features but if you want to play it as like you know a standard fairly difficult 3d platformer you can play it like that and you'll you'll reach the end of the game just fine um, and those challenges are there for you. And I think I like this, this approach that Nintendo's taking now. Um, you can see with the first party titles, their second party titles like Xenoblade are just completely inaccessible, I think, to people <laughs> who don't play lots and lots of video games. Like, that's another game I'm playing right now, and it's confusing for me, and I'm like a video game veteran. If somebody said, if somebody's like hasn't played a video game for, for like a decade or has never played a GRPG and was like, I want to pick up Xenoblade. I'd be like, no, don't do it. Um, yeah, I, I spent 70, 75 to 100 hours in Xenoblade Chronicles X on the Wii U, and I'm still at like level 20. Oh, wow. 25. Yeah. Um, I'm like level 65, I want to say, after maybe 110 hours in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I haven't beaten the game yet. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's a massive game. It's gigantic. I don't know how they. You know, just last night, I I was just putting the cartridge for the game into my Switch. I realized this thing is the size of of like a compact flash card, even smaller. This tiny cartridge holds like a hun like a hundred twenty hour game in it. And I was just like, well, games from. Think about like a floppy diskette from uh, when you were a kid, and that yeah. would hold like a couple of mini games on it. Basically, yeah. it's amazing how how far technology has come in my just my fairly brief lifetime. Uh, yeah, so it's a huge game on a tiny cartridge that I can no, take with me. Same with Odyssey. Yeah, you know. To be able to have have as much depth as it has and and fit in the same size of of real estate as like Xenoblade, for example, yeah, it is truly amazing. They've I've I mean it's not just like Nintendo. Obviously, like this flash storage or whatever has been uh, developing for a while, but it's crazy to think that in high school is carrying around like a a one hundred twenty eight megabyte flash drive. I was like, man, this is massive. I was carrying that around my pocket. And nowadays, I don't think you can buy a 128 megabyte flash drive anymore. So no, they don't even give them away. I think the minute the smallest they give away now is four gig. Those are the freebies. Yeah, I I have a I think I have a, a four gig and a and a 16 gig flash drive uh, on my desk, 
and when I bought the four gig one, it was like 80 or 90 bucks. And I bought it like when I was in college or something like that. Um, 80 or 90 bucks Canadian. So it's probably like, well, back then it was, uh, Canadian and American dollars were actually a parody. So it was about 80, 90 American. Uh, and now like, yeah, four gig flash drives are, are freebies. It's, it's pretty nuts. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we've been playing. Let's move on to our, our main topic of discussion. And, uh, what we wanted to discuss, and this is something that the Kaplers wanted to talk about for a while, actually, is how we play games and how we fit them into our lives. Um, so, as we mentioned earlier, um, we're talking about games being more or less accessible, and that's been a way to sort of bring families into gaming. Um, so, Tab, I know you mentioned that you, you brought the guide for, for Super Mario Odyssey for, for your family. Uh, how's that working out? It's, I mean, they're they're chomping through it together. I mean, it gets played on, you know, road trips and weekends and stuff like that. Um, it's mostly them two putting into it and then giving me the controller when they need when the, when it's a hard part, you know. Um, but I, I want I want them to kind of have that experience together. Um, we've played a lot of Destiny together as a family. That's kind of been our family game. Um, the three of us. I mean, we've we've beaten raids. Uh, me, and my wife, and my kids. So they've gotten a lot. They've gotten better at games. Um, I mean, my wife even mentioned to me about, you know, two or three months ago, she's like, I could have been doing this all along. I don't know why I didn't. So um, <laughs> she's finally coming along uh, with playing games and having a good time and stuff. But I think what it's been is less me trying to force it on them and more them fi- finding it out on their own pace. Um, <clears throat> right. So you're not like pushing, I don't know, waifu jrpg number 33 on them you're no 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 find their own way yeah and they all have i mean they both have different tastes um you know my my son's five and his taste is kind of more like kind of like kitty shooters like i would say destiny to me isn't a hardcore shooter you know what i mean it's not you know blood splatter and stuff like that Um, yeah it's the kind of thing that you know given that you're if you're willing to talk with your kid about you know this is video game violence and it's fake it's not like they're going to be traumatized there's no blood or gore really right right and he's always kind of had a good mindset he knows when stuff is fake so that's been a good game for him whereas my wife she's been interested i mean as long as i can remember in me playing rpgs and watching them with me but no interest in, in playing them um Bioshock is probably the one example where I remember coming home once and she was mad at me that I'd gotten farther in the game and she wasn't around to see it because she wanted to know what happened, basically. Um, So she's always had the desire to, like, be a part of the games, but not necessarily the skill to get there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So now she's slowly building that um, and kind of the confidence, you know, where... You know, at first, Destiny for her seemed like, like, how do you even do all this? Like, what's going on now? And then, you know, I'm watching her switch weapons on the fly and, you know, pick up heavy weapons, sort it out, reload it, you know, all the stuff that, you know, you would do as you learn shooters. Um, So she's coming along. And um, like that, that Destiny, us completing the raids and stuff like that has given her the confidence to move on to other stuff that she's been interested in. Um, so right now she's getting into Overwatch. Overwatch is a game she's always kind of been interested in. Um, and one of the things about Overwatch is I'm kind of done with Overwatch. You know, I'm not in a, like I hate it or way, but you know, I, I had my hours with it, but I'm, yeah, I'm not going to go pro with it. Yeah. So kind of past it. So she's playing it on her own, you know, and I'm watching her jump in with teams and, you know, do certain things and, you know, getting called a noob and explain to her she is, you know, <laughs> you know, but 
but you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I'm letting her, I'm letting her kind of develop on her own with you know outside of the nest. Um, so that that's where she's at right now. Yeah, it makes sense to to sort of let people kind of discover their own tastes rather than you know pushing them one way or the other. And then you know eventually, I think people find what they like and what they don't like. Um, DL, I, I do, you, do you have anything to, uh, to mention about this? Sorry, go ahead. Actually, no, that's okay. Uh, I I do. Uh, my when uh, when I first met my wife, one of the things I did was I I tried to help her find something that you know games that she would want to play. You know, I I tried to be a curator, if you will. Um, so you know, originally bought her a, a Game Boy Advance SP, and got a couple of games for that, and then bought uh, Animal Crossing for the GameCube, and she tried oh, nice. it, and she hated it. <laughs> uh, you know first of all you know you miss a day and and the characters especially in the original animal crossing would actually get angry with you um for not being there and and her initial reaction was resentment it's like well forget you I, you know and she she was very turned off by it so she didn't like it and ultimately what i've come to come to realize is that the biggest thing that she doesn't like are rules that are intentionally obscured from you in games. So yeah. the games that she likes are card games. You know, I, I bought her a, a, a cartridge of multiple card and, and board, you know, tabletop games. And she'd play the card games and the Sudoku and the Brain Age all day long uh, and, and puzzle games. But anything beyond that, you know, where, you know, you're trying to, to figure out how the system works, she has no desire for that until we got to affordable space adventures on the Wii U. Oh, okay. How, and I can you tell me about that game? Sure. Uh, it's the premise of the game is that you are on a, uh, a vacation, a trip. Uh, you were put into a little tiny spaceship and transported to a distant planet called Mysterion that uh, was supposed to whisk you away on some tropical adventure where you could explore inside your little own spacecraft. And it's, the the art direction is fantastic it's all very um it's made to seem like a a a travel brochure a video travel brochure and it explains how everything's going to happen and then the instant you start playing the game you realize that your ship is upside down and on the ground and it it plays in a two uh a two-dimensional side scrolling it's quasi 2d you know they're 3d models but you only move uh, 2.5d yeah, exactly. Um, but so it's like a really, like a shmup, or, or what exactly is it? It's a it's more of an exploration game. Okay. So the the way that it works is the Wii U gamepad. It has to play. You can't play off TV because the gamepad is the control panel for your ship, and you have you have a, a gasoline engine, and you have an electric engine. And you have um, landing gear, cool little features like you have a, a, a gravity generator. So um, there will be updrafts inside these little tunnels. And in order to get down through them, you need to be heavier. So you have a artificial gravity generator that you can turn, crank the, you, know, you can press onto the little um, slider bar. There's five little notches and you get all the way up and you're at your heaviest. But it's also harder to fly. So what can happen is you can switch 
you can either control it entirely from the gamepad by yourself using the uh, analog sticks on the sides and the display in the middle, or you can have one person be the systems operator and another person be the pilot. And so that's what we did. So uh, my wife had the screen where she was controlling all the functions of the ship, including turning, you had to turn the power on even when you very first started the game, because what ended up happening was the mothership crashed and everyone died except for you. And the planet wasn't nearly as dark. (laughs) It is. But it's, it's, it's very comically dark because you get to a rescue pod and it says, thank you for joining. uh, Thank you for reaching a rescue pod. The status of this pod is broken. Please find another. It's very dry. It is. It's very dry. Um, And so giving her the controls of the ship and me doing the piloting gave her a chance to do something where all the rules work. You know, you you press the power button and the power turns on. You uh, engage the uh, more power into the engine and, you know, you get more power. Everything responds as, as you'd expect. Exactly. Whereas in, in my, my case, uh, when you turn on the gas engine, it's like a little diesel engine, a black smoke pours out. And the wonderful thing is, is in that one, the, uh, the engine makes the little ship uh, rumble about in its place. So it's really hard to control. Whereas when you turn the electric engine on, everything's very smooth and you can move with, with great precision. The problem with the, you know, the other thing on the, on the planet is that it is run by um, robots that will kill you if they detect certain things. So if they detect lots of noise, which the gasoline engine will make, they will just simply shoot you and you'll, you'll drop to the ground and you have to power back up in order to, uh, in order to restart. So in order to avoid whatever each robot sentry is able to detect, that's why you need to shift from one system to the next. Okay, that makes that makes sense, and that's that's something that your 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 wife was controlling on the on the gamepad, or how exactly? Does yeah, that she work? Had, yeah she controlled it on the gamepad. She had three little dials that would show the limits of how much um, noise or heat or sound or uh, um, noise or heat or electricity that you could generate within the limits of the aliens that were or the robots that were nearby to kill you. So you can manage all of it in such a way on a sliding scale so that you don't generate too much. So then your whole purpose is to sneak by all of these these robot guns in order to make your way to the end of the game. Okay, so sort of like a, like a stealth exploration 2D side-scrolling adventure that yeah. you play co-op. Okay, that's that's, yeah. a, that's a neat setup, and it sounds like it's very conducive to, to gaming with, with family or significant others. Um, which it really is. Yeah, a lot of a lot of co-op games are, aren't really built like that, and it's nice to see games that sort of uh, are accessible to, to lots of people. Um, so we started talking about how we we play games with our with our families. Um, so I think let, let's go back to something more fundamental and ask: uh, What devices do you guys play games on? How do you use them? Like for instance, I have a PC, a PS4, and a Switch, and I play my PC, my PS4 at home typically. 
um, and I take my, my switch usually with me on the go when I, when I have a commute or um, I'll, I'll usually play it in bed before, before going to sleep. I don't usually use it much as a couch console. Um, so what do you guys play on and, and how do you play on it? Uh, PC, Xbox, PS4, Switch, mobile, kind of in that order. Um, I mean, I, I, I play a little bit of everything, but mobile's never really been able to put to pull me in, honestly. Uh, I've never really kind of went down that dark hole. But uh, Yeah, you know, same here. I think the only mobile game I have is Super Hexagon, and the only reason I have it is because it was for free. Yeah, there's, there's something about the the Xbox that if I'm playing a multiplat console game, that's always going to win out to me over the PS4. Um, something about the controllers, the aesthetics. I I don't know Xbox Live. Just just I just like the the ecosystem better. Um, but you know if it's a it's exclusive, it's get played wherever it is. Um, but yeah, I mean it, generally PC is my go-to, uh, especially now that I've got a gaming computer for my wife and my son, so that kind of makes it kind of a no-brainer. Um, but there's some interesting configurations uh, on some of the Xbox Play Anywhere titles about who's playing what where um, that kind of change a lot of that. Okay, so is it like um, like you can play kind of local multiplayer with somebody playing on the Xbox and another person playing on the PC? Yeah, with one copy, um, which is, you know, a great money saver. Um, you know, for example, like Sea of Thieves, um, I'll be playing on my PC my kid will be playing on the Xbox and we're only playing, you know, the one license for it. Um, it, it's kind of interesting the way it all works out, but you gotta, you gotta kind of dig into the, it's on a developer by developer basis. It's not actually up to Microsoft. Their, their whole thing is if you make a game, it's gotta be able to be played on PC and, uh, and Xbox, but they don't really control what license goes where, if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, I can see that. So it, it depends on a, on a developer by developer basis, but uh, generally, I mean, some of the Microsoft first party stuff is is very friendly about letting you borrow and use licenses and stuff like that. Uh, particularly Minecraft, um, you know, I think a lot of people thought Minecraft would get destroyed, but uh, Minecraft Play Anywhere is a really neat little thing going on right now. Um, you know, between Switch actually and Xbox, um, basically every platform except PS4. Yeah, they don't want to play. So, but I mean, yeah. it's fun because my kid will take the Switch with us, build a whole bunch of stuff, get home, load it up on his Xbox. I mean, it's you know, it, stuff to, that now to him seems like, well, of course it'll do that to me. Is like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. You know, um, but yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I can't, I can't think of any games I have where I like, I don't know, I take my switch on the go and then I load it back on my PC and, and pick up where I left off. I don't have anything like that. So, I mean, they're, they're getting there. I mean, it's, it's those walls are starting to fall. And I mean, I really think that 10 years from now, the exclusive is probably going to be a thing of the past. Um, you know, maybe Sony being that one lone holdout, but um, that's going to be a harder and harder position to defend, especially when Nintendo's on board with some of that stuff. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to see what happens. But I'd, I'd like there to be a future where it's less about what games you play where and more about what do you like to play games on. Does that make sense? Yeah. To me, see, the only reason PS4 is being jerks about this gen is because they're in the lead. Right. If they weren't in the lead, then, like, if the roles were flipped, then it'd be other company doing doing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, PS4, I I can see Sony playing nice in the future if the PS5 doesn't do as well as the PS4. Right. And I, but I mean, it for could now, happen. Yeah. 
like we 360 owned two gens ago. You know what I mean? And now uh, PS4 owns this one. It could very easily be. I mean, whatever the next Xbox Two, <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah, whatever I'm sure they'll come up with a better name for it. Yeah, this time uh, around. But there's, um, there's no marketplace dominance really for consoles. It, you know, I mean, think about how poorly the Wii U did compared to the Switch. It's, you know, it's they've already outsold the Wii U. Yeah, there, there's no guarantees. So I mean, I would be very careful with not you know, burning any bridges with, with your player bases because uh, it, it's fickle. There's not the loyalty there used to be, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, and we'll have to see. Sorry, go ahead, Deal. Oh, no, you have to be careful, though, not to dip into what became the 3DO model. Uh, when Trip Hawkins started 3DO, he wanted uh, games to be open licensed, but the hardware, or, well, he wanted the hardware to be basically open so that any manufacturer could produce the hardware, the 3DO licensed hardware. So when uh, Panasonic and Goldstar got on board, they were building the hardware that was commoditized. Right? They were both compatible with each other, and they both just simply worked with every game. The problem with that was is that, that in order to be able to sell it at a profit, the, the hardware became too expensive. Uh, because they couldn't make the money back on software sales. And if you go, if, if exclusives don't, I think there will always be exclusives simply because that's going to allow these companies to to drive um, hardware sales in the first place. I mean, there may be a future where the mobile space, you know, commoditizes the hardware and then it's, then it becomes easier. The issue with, with that is like, um, most of the most of the platforms are loss leaders, right? So, like, if you buy a PS4, you're not buying it at you're buying it be, like essentially at or below at cost. cost. Yeah, yeah. It's the Switch is the only console that's being sold at a profit, and they're not making much profits, like a few dollars on each one. The, where they make their money is is you know selling software licenses. So it's all about attracting people into your ecosystem. And in the past, it was exclusives that attracted people into an ecosystem. I don't know if that's going to continue to be the case in the future. It may very well be. I don't know. Uh, I'm not in the minds of every every gamer out there, but I think there are more factors than just exclusives that lead people to go mm-hmm. to one ecosystem over the other. And certainly having online digital stores can help that because if you do have an incompatible platform, you know, even if it's relatively commoditized um, in the sense that it's easy to port from one, from the PS4 to the Xbox One, for example, since they're both x86 architectures, even having your online store be incompatible still gives you that uh, that ability to recover your cost on software as a hardware right. standpoint. Yeah, you're not even paying the cost of like printing physical copies at that point. You're just – it's pure profit. <laughs> That's the right. nice thing about it's, it's digital a, sales. A consignment, if you will. Yeah. Good old zero, zero marginal cost. Um, so yeah, getting back to, to how we – we play we play the games that we play um so i often have trouble kind of fitting games into my schedule like i i work long hours unfortunately so my game time is like limited to i basically play video games during dinner time like i get home i'll make dinner and then i'll sit down either in front of my my ps4 or on my pc i'll play a video game for a little bit um 
like and when it comes to Nintendo games, it's even worse. Basically, I either play them before going to bed, like I'll just play my Switch while I'm, I'm lying in bed, or the other time I play it is when I have time to exercise. I actually park my exercise bike in front of my TV, and the nice thing about the Switch is that you can hold a controller in each hand, so you can like pop on an exercise bike and just play Switch games, which is pretty neat. It doesn't work so well with the PS4. I tried it once because it locks your arms in place because you have to hold the controller with both hands, but uh, works really nicely with the Switch. So that's like yeah. the only times I have to to game. Like I I fit gaming into doing other things at the same time, like eating or bedtime reading or exercise. That's how I, I find time to play video games. Um, do you guys like set aside time to play video games? You're like, here's my two-hour block on the weekend where I'm going to play, or do you find other ways to fit video games into your lives? Not so much for myself, but for my kid, I do. I mean, I have to kind of monitor his time. Otherwise, you know, he'll lose 20 hours to Minecraft real quick. Um, but yeah, I mean, not so much for myself. It's I fit it in when I can. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, it'll be weekends are kind of my longer sessions. Um, after work, you know, I'll get in here, you know, for an hour or two. Then I've usually got to run around, and do some stuff with the kids. And then um, 11 to probably two or three is really my my crunch time gaming. I, I'm going to play exactly what I want type to, uh, usual time. Uh, I, I'm lucky I don't need a lot of sleep, honestly. But, I mean, 11 to 2 or 3 in the morning is usually my, my gaming time. That's nice. I I used to be able to get by with a little less sleep, but as I, as I get older, I find I need a little I'm way more. older than you. Don't even try that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I... I... I used uh, like people are different though. Like I used to in like grad school get by on like three or four hours of sleep a night, and I just can't do that anymore for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, now now I I don't stay up as late as I used to playing games, but like you know I used to be able to tear through games like stay up till like two or three a.m. playing them. Nowadays it's like you know when it hit when the clock hits midnight, I'm just like I can't play games anymore. I'm going to bed. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was the same way until I got to Breath of the Wild. And for that period of like two months, I was actually back into that mode where I could play until two in the morning because I was, you know, I usually I was in bed by 10 o'clock or at, at best. And then uh, for Breath of the Wild, it was actually engrossing enough that I didn't want to sleep. It was it was amazing. It took me back 20 years in time. See, that's like that's like one of my bad gaming habits, though, which is, like, if we want to talk about gaming habits now. Um, so I have a tendency to, to to sort of play games beyond when I should be going to sleep. Like, I, I am really prone to, like, just one more mission kind of syndrome. Yeah. Like, oh, just one more task. And then it kind of spirals, and then suddenly I'm awake for another hour. Um, yeah, I, I really need to find, be able to say, okay... Let me cut this off now. Let me go to bed. The problem with especially big RPGs, like I find this problem with Xenoblade a lot. It's just like I'd have to write down everything I intend to do for the next play session, right? Mm-hmm. And I should just I should just do that, right? I should just make a quick like put up a quick sticky note and say, here are the five tasks I want to accomplish in the next play session. But I'm worried that I'll forget what I was doing if I pick it up three days later, and so it it just ends up in the spiral where I end up staying late finishing up all the tasks that I just didn't want to write down for whatever reason. And and I think that's my bad gaming habit is 
exactly what you do except for the fact that I don't stay up late is that when I have things to accomplish, I won't, I'll, I'll get tired and I'm, I, I don't, I, I lose interest. And then if I come back in three days, I'm completely stuck and I spend whatever gaming session that I was going to be able to, to, to reserve just playing around, figuring out what I needed to do. And that's, that's how I, I got so, you know, so many hours in Xenoblade Chronicles X was that I would just, I'd pop back in and think, oh, wow, I, the, the place is so beautiful. I just look around for a little while and forget what I had to do and never accomplish anything. And that'll stack yeah. up for like two or three play sessions in a row. You know, I think old some old RPGs have this where they just have like a note-taking system in the game. Right? Mm-hmm. Just like you can write stuff on a notepad in-game and it just like here's a reminder of all the stuff I wanted to do. And I think more games should just do that. They uh, did it, it doesn't with seem that hard. Dragon Quest Seven actually put in a beautiful feature on the 3DS where it's sort of a story so far. And if you pop into the game and you haven't been in it a while, you can you can move to that menu area and it will show you the last few things that you did and tell you the last bits of story that you were up to so that you can catch up and you know where you are so that you can go on. See, these and are nice with, accessibility features. That should be more games. Yeah, I, exactly. I, that kind of that links into what my bad gaming habit is. Um, I, if I play a game, get bored with it, quit it, Whenever I come back to it, let's say a couple months online, I almost always restart. Like it's very rare for me, especially if we're talking like RPGs or even some like real time strategy games, you know, um, I'll almost always like rather than just, you know, pick up where I left off. I'll just be like, you know what? I don't remember what was going on. I don't remember what I was doing. I don't even really remember how to play this game and I'll just start over. Um, And time spent kind of just ends up being time wasted for a lot of those types of games. Um I tried out a little game called Elex. I guess not in, in a little game, but a game called Elex. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's oh, like yeah. a, it's one of those Piranha Bytes RPGs. One of those yeah. really good old Eastern European jank. Yeah, exactly. And like I could tell it had a lot of that going on. I mean, initially, and I probably put, you know, like eight or nine hours into it. And I was like, this game needs some patches. You know what I mean? Like there's no way around it. It just needs some patches. I'll come back to it. So when I know I still am interested in playing that game, you know, but when I go back to it, I'm going to start over those that those eight or nine hours they are gone now, you know. Um, but yeah, so there's some stuff out there that that that's just kind of the, the feeling I have with it. It just needs some work um, before I get back into it. But restarting the whole game is, you know, is, is a lot of wasted time. And, and I'll, sort of... I'll spend those those eight or nine hours. I'll spend those trying to figure out how to get back to where I was in that eighth or ninth hour. So I probably would probably be better off doing what you do and just restart. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's one or the other, right? I mean, but yeah, this yeah. Zero sum game at that point. Right. Yeah. I, I tend to not restart. I tend to just pick up where I left off and get super confused and then just abandon <laughs> the game again because I'm super confused. Um, yes. But I, I would say ha- that in my experience, there's a better odds of me seeing the game through to the end. If I restart, Versus then me trying to figure because exactly like what you're saying. Like I, I remember um, one of the first restarts of Final Fantasy 15. I did. I got a little bit into it. I was like, I'm not. I don't know what's going on. It was all that open world stuff. You know what I mean? It felt it felt overwhelming. I was like, I'll come back to this game later. I restarted. I ended up playing that game to the point where I platinumed it. I don't platinum 
anything, guys. I mean, honestly. So, I mean, that tells you a lot about that kind of, you know, if I give it mm-hmm. enough time to marinate and then it starts to You didn't to even like that game very no, much. No, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you platinum it? I mean, speaking of games that I that I hated that I still completed, I have a tendency to just stubbornly stick to bad games, even when they're just garbage. And I'm like, I have to see it through the end. I don't know why I have this habit. So this past week, I played this game called... I finished this game called Inner Space. Um, so first of all, it's an example of, the, of my first kind of behavior, where I play the game, got bored of it, got occupied with other games, then came back to it a couple months later and didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, but then I just decided to see through to the end. And it's an awful game. Like, it is literally <laughs> probably the worst game i played in the past three or four years. It's just... Or played to completion, I should say, in the past three or four years. There are some games that are just so bad, I'm like, eh, you're gone now. Um, But I still decided to complete it. And, I mean, I I I really shouldn't rag on, you know, indie games that are labors of love too much, but this game is just so bad. (laughs) And I can't believe that. Like, okay, imagine a game where you're in, there's no sense of up or down. You're just in, like, three-dimensional space, like, flying through it. And um, you can't stop or hover. So you're just like constantly flying a plane through 3D space that has no sense of up or down. Yeah. And it's an exploration uh, game that requires precision flying. Yeah. That sounds like the worst of all worlds. <laughs> yeah, and and on top of that, it's it's got this serene atmosphere like like you know, like Absurd Journey. But there's a lot of writing, like there's a lot of talking. There are characters that oh. talk about this world. Wow. Yeah. Like Kid Icarus Uprising, except not as fun. Yeah, except for not funny, except for like excruciatingly sincere Ooh. to the point that you just want to punch everybody involved. Um, yeah, so I played that game through. I never mastered the controls. I played it on mouse and keyboard despite the fact that it was clearly meant for a controller, so that's partly my own fault. Um, I played it through to the end. I hated every second, and I still completed it. And I just don't know why I do this to myself. Um, uh, I can tell you guys about one of my good gaming habits that I think would help everyone. It requires <laughs> you to kind of be comfortable with it, but guys, cheating. Cheat engine, oh, yes. cheating... Uh, I am a sub to uh, Cheat Happens. I, I can't tell you how many times cheating has gotten me through to the end of a game in, in those types of scenarios. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I hear what people say. Well, why even play if you're going to cheat? Well, the way I put it like this, if you just gave yourself gold in, let's say, Skyrim, right? Yeah. Does it really change the game that you're going to experience? Seriously, does it? No, right? Like, all you would do is go kill bandits for five or six hours, get the gold you need, and you'd be off on your way, not really missing anything else in the game. Um, it's been one of my biggest time-saving things. I, I don't regret taking the time to learn Cheat Engine, or and, and my I think I bet I bought like a lifetime sub for Cheat Happens for 70 bucks. Some of the best money and time I've ever spent when it comes to gaming. Um, I, I say it enough, and people just kind of, I, I know they think, well, what what's the point? But once you get familiar with it and comfortable with it and you you can a lot of it requires you to have your own discipline right 
like I'm not going to ruin this game for me. I'm going to just do stuff that I know I don't want to do. Um, I, I can't tell you enough about how how cheating's helped me enjoy gaming more. And for yeah. me, the corollary has been playing on easy mode. Um, yeah, even, that's another even good beyond one. normal. Uh, you know, even normal mode, I, I, I've I've gone down below that. You know, it's not not in every game, but but in like for instance, uh, I'm playing Mass Effect Three every once in a while when I'm home on the Wii U, and I've never played any of the other two versions because I, I didn't have a PC until uh, recently, but. I have it on, I think it's called narrative mode yeah. or story. Yeah, narrative um, mode. Yeah. Narrative. And, and so you basically that's can't die thing. on that mode. Right. I, actually, I have. That's the sad part. But, uh, but besides that, you know, I, I completely agree with you that, that being able to, to just experience the story is, is the most important thing right now in my life and being able to finish it. It gives me so much more satisfaction than doing it on normal or hard would have ever given me. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to drop most games down to, I play most action games on normal, but I tend to drop like RPGs down to easy because otherwise they just take too long. Um, like I played Dragon Age Inquisition on easy and that still took me 120 hours. So if, it, I've, if I'd played it on normal, I'd probably still be playing that game. Um, and like JRPGs, especially, I always put them on the easiest difficulty setting because they they tend to have unfair difficulty spikes here and there. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Two didn't even have a difficulty setting. That's probably why it's yeah. taking me so long. There's so yeah. many like story fights that I'm just like the like the big boss will be like five levels below me and it'll still destroy my ass. Uh, so yeah, I, I try to set things down to easy wherever possible. It doesn't really change my enjoyment that much. I tend to enjoy normal slightly more than easy, but at the same time, I want to play more games. I know I'm not going to get through them very quickly. I know if I play a really long game on normal, I'll get tired of it. So I'll sacrifice a little bit of moment-to-moment enjoyment for just more overall enjoyment on easy for sure yeah that's i think that's a really good way to put it um i mean it's up to you to kind of how are you going to experience the games um and gone are the days where i'm like i've got to play this on hard and brutal and get through the very you know grind it out every hour it it just i don't have that desire anymore you know um yeah it's it's weird uh that part of me is kind of just isn't around anymore (laughs) Yeah, the, the epiphany for me came uh, and, and related to one of our conversations earlier was uh, I bought Gone Home. Uh, I had a little Linux computer that was actually plugged into our TV at the time uh, a couple of years ago for Halloween, and we played it Halloween week. So my wife sat next to me on the couch. I ran all the controls, so we quote-unquote played together, right? Um, but, uh, but by going through Gone Home the way that we did, where there's, you know, no skill level involved in it in terms of there is a skill because quite frankly, if my wife were running the controls, she would have gotten frustrated with, you know, controlling a first person action game anyway. So there is some level to that, that you do have that we take for granted, but, but being able to go through that story wise and experience it without having any obstacles in our way, other than our own um, ability to, to stop and, and, read and explore and figure out some of the easy puzzles 
set that you know set me on that path where you know the narrative narrative was the most important thing yeah sometimes like it really depends from game to game for something like gone home yeah i i i just want to relax and and let the story wash over me um Mm -hmm. if it's something like i don't know mario or some 2d platformer like rayman yeah i want a little bit of challenge i'm not really there for Mm -hmm. the story um, so it kind of depends from game to game, but like, yes. it's good that we have all these like more narrative oriented experiences. And sometimes I just want to experience a good interactive story. Um, and I don't really need, like, I don't need my visual novels to have stat checks is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, my... right. go ahead. Just to get really quick. I mean, um, into, into one of the things that of, of how it's changed over time with how I used to and how I do play. Um, I used to feel like it was way more social. You know what I mean? Like gaming was way more social to me in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to lose that with, we talked about it before, but like the fractioning of my friends and my, you know, wh- who's playing where and stuff. And, and it's hard to not have that part of gaming anymore. It, it, it kind of pushes me back sometimes. Um, but I don't know if you guys kind of experienced that too or what you think. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, local multiplayer was a big thing on consoles, right? Like you could plug four controls to an N64 and play, you know, Perfect Dark or GoldenEye, uh, splitting a TV screen in, into four pieces. And that's what we would do is, as kids, go over to each other's places and play, you know, Nintendo together. Um, and sort of as I, as I grew older and um, consoles moved away from local multiplayer and I, I sort of lost that part of my, my life a little bit. Um, and I used to play a lot more PC multiplayer. Um, and this was in the days before voice chat. So you could only really text chat and people didn't, people weren't as insulting, I think. For whatever reason, oh, yeah, absolutely the atmosphere not. was a lot. When you couldn't, when you can't like scream racial slurs Blur. at somebody, you have to like slowly type them out. Yeah. I think it like people. There's a lot. Um, there's a lot more inhibition there, right? You you have to think about what you're going to say if you have to type it out. You have um, to be deliberate about it. Yeah, you have to be deliberate. That, exactly. So I used to play a lot of Commander Conquer Renegade back in the day, like an embarrassing amount. Is I actually got good at it, and I've never been really good at a video game before. Um, yeah, that that game you could only text chat or send send a bunch of pre-select commands via keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, and that turned it turned out to be like a really positive experience. People would never like. If you messed up, people would people would type, "Oh, that's okay," or "Nice try," or you know, "Good a uh, good strategy." People would compliment each other all the time. It, it's so weird that now that to think of you know Xbox Live or or uh, PSN as as places of as like hives of of uh, harassment and bigotry because it just wasn't my experience growing up in multiplayer. Yeah, I, so you guys know I've been kind of like dipping my toes into streaming, right? Um, yeah. One of my one of my first decisions was was where, um, 
Twitch fucking sucks, guys. <laughs> it's awful. Um, I mean, like, what is allowed and expected and permitted on Twitch is just gross. Um, and, like, people have to put up with it because that's how it works and that's where the money comes from, you know? Um, so I checked out Mixer and totally different. Um, totally different vibe. People feeling more about, like, trying to help each other. And, um, you know, I don't want to say PG-13 in a way, like, that means you know that like it's kitty but um the the way things are going right now on the internet it's just getting i don't feel like it's getting better i feel like it's getting worse if anything um and you you see it now i mean like overwatch is trying to you know put in anti-toxicity measures all these like they're trying to basically like make different sides of of games for people who want that and, and play like that and i don't know if that's the answer to put them in their own little you know silos um but yep. prisons yeah but it reminds me of like back in the day it used to be a lot more fun just to put my buddies on the couch and you know yeah i'm shit talking my friend but he's my friend now it's just like like what merv's saying it's just so awful um and it's become accepted to be awful you know i was turned off by by voice chat and gaming even back as far as the playstation 2 uh i was doing some racing in Pro Race Driver 4, I believe it was, and, and had a PS2 headset and a Ethernet connection, Ethernet adapter. And even at that point, you know, racing people online, it I realized that when I had the ability to talk to them, it wasn't fun. And, and they started, you know, it was just that initial start of where they could be insulting, even if inadvertently, you know, just the, 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 the chuckles and things like that. Uh, and I got turned off by it, and I've never been back. Uh, so it's been, what, almost 13, 14 years since something like that? That was yeah. like 2004. Uh, yeah, and, it's, and that's why it's I only gotten and- worse since then. Like, um, I remember one time I was just playing Left for Dead with some, some old college buddies, and we needed a fifth... I think we were playing like... Uh, like the PVE mode, so we need, I think, a, a fourth or fifth player. And so this one guy who joins our, our party, he, like, we're just laughing because we have all our inside jokes and, you know, we're we're being goofs because we don't take this seriously, right? We don't care about our rank or whatever. Uh, this guy takes the game ultra seriously. He's constantly insulting us. He keeps calling us the C word over and over and over again. Um, and I'm just thinking how is any of this fun for you? You know, how is taking a game this seriously fun? Like it's right in, it's right in the name of the product. It's a game, right? You should be having fun playing co-op with your buddies or making internet friends. Like, why are you so angry? Yeah. Or even by the extension, if he's not angry, how is that fun? and, and, And that's when I get to the point where like at the end of the day, I'm just like, you know what? Do I even want to deal with this? Do I even want to play Overwatch? Do I? You know what I mean? Like it, it's sad because there's games I've just stopped playing because I don't want to deal with what it is. You know, um, so yeah. I mean, when we talk about how we game and when we game, I mean, it, a community can push you out real easy. I'll even you know blow up myself a little bit. I used to play a lot of Dota two, and I hated the person I was when I played Dota two. I would be the the raging person. You know, it's easy to always blame on everybody else around you, but. I mean, there'd be points where I'm like, you know, why is this guy in this game? What is he doing? You know, and, it, and I really felt myself turning into I actually had to quit playing that game because I get so angry playing it, you know. Um, but like, 
that's something you just got to know about and be willing to step back and be like, I don't need to play this game that bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's. I feel like sometimes, especially, um, especially competitive games, they turn us into, um, into aggressive, angry people. And, yeah. You know, we we say that it's video game violence that makes us aggressive, and some research. I'll see if I can dig it up. Some recent research has shown that it's actually the dimension of competitiveness that makes a game. Uh, Increase. I can understand that. I mean, the angriest people I've yeah. ever met were on CS:GO. Um, you know, and right. and the thing about a CS:GO match is, if you waste somebody's time, you waste ten minutes. But what used to drive me crazy about Dota 2 is when you get somebody who's purposely trolling, purposely throwing, purposely being a jerk. You're wasting an hour of my time. Do you know what I mean? Which feels yeah. so different than like, okay, whatever. I've got this jerk. This one match, I can report him and let it go. It never felt like that in Dota 2. It's like, you're here to waste my time, and I'm stuck in this game with you for an hour. You know? Yeah, you definitely don't want to be hanging around with somebody toxic for that long. Um, it's just, like, at a certain point, just like, it's not worth it. I'm I'm quitting this game. Right? Because you just don't want to deal with toxic assholes. Um, yeah, but, you know, so... Another thing is ahead, that, that there's also... Uh, um, a direct competitive component too, you know, like I think racing games in particular or games where the competition is indirect, uh, where you're not actually, I mean, racing games can get to a point where you're, you're banging against each other and, and, or directly influencing each other, but you also have your own skill level as well that you're, you're competing against. Um, for instance, uh, tonight, uh, uh, I believe would be uh, Mario Kart eight on the eighth at the time of this recording. So, which is a group of, of people that get together from, from both the Avocado and the and Gameological that, that will race in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the Switch. But, and, and those games can get fantastically competitive, but, you know, two things happen. One, for the most part, no one shows up on voice chat. And two, everyone respects each other. So everyone knows where their place is in the game. And if they lose it's because they know that they weren't driving as well as they should have, right? Or right. could have. It feels like, um, I mean, it's also, it's also that we're all sort of members of the same community. We all kind of know each other. So mm-hmm. when we play a game together, we're, we're you know, more likely to be civilized. Um, and also, you mentioned sort of the competitive aspect of this. What I've noticed is that when I've played you know, more competitive games, online and tune into voice chat it's been occasionally a little bit off color but like i played a lot of mass effect 3 horde mode and that's all co-op and i did not hear a single insult in the 20 hours or 30 hours i poured into that not even wow yes yeah and that just goes to show you that like a it's very idiosyncratic depending on the game you're playing and b i think you know, more cooperative modes where people aren't super ultra worried about their ranks or whatever tend to breed a little bit more of a, of a collegial atmosphere. But I don't know. That's just my observation. It's not, that part's not backed up by science. (laughs) No. And, and, and it's amazing how different it is from, from when I was most into games as a, as a youth. You know, my school age years were, you know, entirely different. 
and even the online stuff that I would get into in the early 2000s, you know, those never had, like you said, they had, they would have text chats at best or uh, preconditioned messages. And the 3DS, even their online play, uh, multiplayer is a lot like that as well, where you only have preset messages that you can use. And that's what you're limited to. And I, I, yeah. I like that, actually. I'm drawn to Nintendo's, that. like, we, we complain about how Nintendo uh, doesn't want to make voice chat work properly on the Switch. And yeah, I, I'm willing to rag on them for it because they, they probably could make it work easily. Uh, and they're just being lazy. But on the other hand, like, why would you want to invite that toxicity onto your platform? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's a weird double-edged sword, right? Like, it makes Switch feel, or it makes Nintendo products just in general feel empty, you know? But then at the same time, I don't get, you know, random messages after a Sea of Thieves match about how trash I am because I killed someone, you know? And it's, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you fix it. We've talked about it before, but uh, how I play games has really been influencing the community that grows up around the game, you know? Um, and it can be it, it can be a deciding factor. I, and companies are starting to recognize that. I mean, if you read uh, Blizzard's latest thing about how um, how more or less, you know, like they, they recognize that Overwatch is hurting player base wise because people don't want to be called, you know, all the things they're being called every time they log in mm-hmm. for two hours. They just want to play the character they like to play. And, you know, maybe make some swaps to help the team if it's needed. But that's not what it is right now, you know. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a weird spot. And I think that's going to change a lot in the future. I agree. Yeah, if, if companies can find better ways of kind of regulating that, that toxicity, I think it's going to be an asset to them in the long run because it's only a small subset of people who are attracted to the trash talk. Yeah. Most people yeah. just want to hang out and goof off and, you know, maybe try their best. They're not looking for. They're not looking to be insulted. Yeah, I can remember, you know, like just as an example, I mean, I've played betas before where like people will trash talk you like you knew. I'm like, the game's not even out. (laughs) 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 Like, What are you talking about? Like, we're all noobs. None of us are good, you know, and I've always thought about like that. What goes into that kind of mentality where it's like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to flame this guy for, for being a noob and like. The game is literally not out. <laughs> yeah, people don't make a lot of sense when well, when they start trash talking. Um, so yeah, that, that's to, to get into sort of the next next bit of discussion. That's kind of influenced how I've played, how the way I've played has changed over time. I used to play a lot more multiplayer uh, as a kid, and nowadays I'm almost exclusively a single player gamer. If I play multiplayer, it's every couple of months I'll, I'll get together with some some college buddies. We'll play some payday or whatever online. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's just almost exclusively single player these days because I just don't want to deal with online toxicity, and it's the only one worse. And, um, and and to extend to that, I think part of my other issue is that I would have to play online to play with anyone else because none of my peers locally play games. So I I do play alone, even even when I play, you know, a single player game. I'm still playing alone yeah. because no one that's, I know. Yeah, that's the other part of it for me. All my gaming buddies were people I knew back in an undergrad in Canada, and then I moved to another country. So uh, yeah, it's I I don't know that many people kind of in in my social sphere who are into video games like me. 
So it turns out that, yeah, if I, if I do want to play together with other people, it's going to be online. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't want to keep bringing it up, but that's kind of where one, one of the things that's, that streaming is helping me do or find is people who are interested in talking or doing stuff at the same time. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of like an, an online outreach, if you want to think of it like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a weird spot to be in right now. My gaming friends are all over the place. You know, I've lived, I was in the army, so I lived in a lot of places. Um, and most of them, I mean, a lot of people have straight up quit, but a lot of other ones, you know, they're still doing it. Um, but you know, it's it's who knows where, you know. Yeah, but, I, I mean. I streamed a little bit on Twitch before, and it hasn't really been been a good way for me to meet people because I haven't like I never tried to advertise my stream. Well, like, it's only been mostly been like um, getting noticed on Twitch is yeah. is I mean we could do a whole streaming podcast one day, but um, you know if you're one of one million people playing something, you you don't even make a blip on the radar on Twitch, you know. And the people who do come in just want to troll you or spoil the ending of the game you're playing and yeah that's its own thing but that's kind of where i see the future coming um is not necessarily streaming but more like hey you're playing skyrim this guy's playing sky i keep using skyrim example but you know what i mean like hey you're playing elex and this guy's playing elex let's match you guys up and have you guys talk about the game or something like that you know um that that i think could be interesting yeah and i think that that would be that would be a nice social feature to integrate because right now we're sort of all very diffuse. Like occasionally we'll we'll go online and talk about video games, say on the avocado, and we'll we'll you know discuss the games with people who are also playing it. Um, but that's like right now we're sort of all making our own communities, and I think developers could kind of you know put community building features into their games, or Steam could put more more community building features into its platform. Right, right, right. Uh, so like, it's not, I mean, yeah, it's one thing to go into a forum and discuss it, but it's like, Hey, you know, you're on level seven, this guy's on level seven. Boom. You guys go talk or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I think like dark schools kind of has that in the whole, you know, like watch out. There's a portal here. I died on the thing, but you can do a little bit more with that. Um, you know, that, that's kind of where I see the future going is, is linking people up in games who are playing the same thing and doing the same thing and let them have fun with each other. You know? Yeah, even if it's not a multiplayer component. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, it's there's there's nothing stopping you from 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 integrating social aspects into games. Um, you know what I mean? It's just it's just you want to have the you want to have the chance that it's going to be some guy who just trolls you for an hour or whatever. But you know, there's probably a lot more good people out there playing single player RPGs than there are competitive shooters. You know, and I, I like yeah. if I was two-thirds into a way of a playthrough of Elex, I wouldn't mind talking to a couple of other people who were like, hey, man, you know, I didn't know this, but at this part, really start crafting this type of gun. Cool. Yeah, man, how's the game? You know, you know, stuff like that uh, I think would be really interesting to, to kind of see as the future, but we'll see Nintendo what happens. Nintendo kind of tried that with Miiverse, right? Where, with, right? where you could put little, like, notes in different parts of certain levels of games. Yeah. Um, of course, the Miiverse ended up being... yeah. <laughs> like its own weird meme-filled hellhole. Yeah, exactly. Um, it never ended up really toxic. It just ended up really meme-y. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, I think it's people to try to build on that kind of idea because uh, I think it's one worth exploring a little more. Although, yeah, occasionally you're going to get a lot of really bizarre pixel art, but it comes with the territory. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. I, I think when you design something like Meverse, like in the back of your mind, it's all the positives. Think of all the fun stuff people are going to do with this. But, you know, so I don't fault the developers, but there's got to be some kind of way where they stay on top of it and say, look, you know, I, I don't know whether it's hiring like the equivalent of mods or people, you know, but you don't want it to be, if you leave it on its own, it's going to always kind of backfire on you uh, because it's just going to become this little hellhole of whatever. Um, and that's what Twitch is to me, man. It's it's just, yeah, it's, it's anarchy. And I'm sure they thought of it would be this fun, good thing. But really what it ended up being is just this, this place where it's just, oh, it's full of casual racism and homophobia. And that's okay because that's just Twitch, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be. You know, <laughs> so. gaming, gaming used to be, um, you know, sharing gaming used to yeah. be about relationships, right? You had relationships with your school friends because you were stuck with them in school. You, you find relationships with certain online communities and then you play games and you fracture that way. So, you know, if you can establish relationships with people and get them started where they're actually interacting on a, on, and this is kind of where, you know, the original online shooters like Quake 3 and, and or Quake, for, for example, had private servers so that you could you would have to form the relationships first. And I think that's the way that Nintendo really tries to strive is, is they want you to make a relationship first and then we'll let you play together. Yeah. And it's it's a double edged sword, like we said earlier. It, it's, is. it means that matchmaking is a lot harder. It is and harder. Yeah, but um, on the other hand, a lot less toxicity. So it's good for the people who are who have already made the effort to to meet people, or who are willing to make that effort. And for everybody else, it kind of it kind of hurts their their enjoyment. So I don't really know what the solution is, but I'm not being paid to come up with it. So yeah, the number I'm of people who enjoyed just, that versus the number of people who are annoyed by it. I mean, it's. Do people really love trash talk? Is that I mean, yeah, I guess they do, or there wouldn't be so many people who do it. But I don't know, man. I mean, we'll never figure this out. It'll take us a million years. But uh, you know, part of the gaming community is the fact that it's uh, traditionally it's been kind of you know an isolate, you know, a lot of isolated loner type folks who play and do it, um, and you know, it's kind of their outlet. You know, here I'm the cool kid. I'm the one who does this. I'm the one who makes you feel little. Um, you would think it would kind of be the opposite, right? You know, like in real life, I feel like crap, so I want to make you feel good, but it, it, it hasn't, and it's not been that way for a long time, so, you know. Yeah, I just don't... It, it gets back to, and I think we're going off topic now, but who cares? Um, <laughs> it gets back to this idea of, of like, gatekeeping yeah. in gaming. It, I find that so bizarre, Yeah. right? It's You should want people to, if you enjoy something... You should want other people to share in it with you. Right. Like if somebody says, oh, I'm new to this, you should be like, oh, you're new to this. Here are like 10 amazing things about it that you should look into. Right. Not, oh, you're new to this. Get the hell out. Yeah. You you, you suck. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, I don't know. I mean, whoever figures it out, you know, did you guys see Ready Player One? I have not. Yeah. I've never even read it. We'll talk about that later. But I mean... <laughs> I really feel like there there's a space for whatever company or whoever figures out how to figure out to control some of this, whether it's tying real names to, you know, your account, whether it's, I mean, everybody's tried different stuff, right? Um, but once you figure this out, how to curb this, 
your games are going to do better. They're going to last longer. There's going to be more players. It, it, it will work. It's just nobody. I don't know if it's an effort thing. I don't know if it's a, they just accept that it is. I, I, I don't know where they go from, from, for, for fixing it, but I just think it's a fairly intractable problem. We've tried yeah. so many things and we, we're still not succeeding. When the number one reason I stop playing games online usually is because I hate the community. Then yeah, that's a problem. I mean, I'm I'm the person that you want playing games. I spend lots and lots of money on video games. You know, um, you know, I spend lots of time. I spend whatever you're looking for. That that's me. But people like me every day are quitting and leaving games because they don't want to deal with people who are jerks. And the jerks don't always stick around either. They just ruin people's times and go from game to game too. You know, so I don't know how 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 I how I play games right now is I play till I hate the community for the most part. <laughs> so. And for me, yeah. I play alone in small batches any chance I get. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I and I, I play almost exclusively offline. Yeah. I, my, in fact, my biggest distraction in games is going online to talk about them rather than playing them. Right. Right. Yeah, I for a while I We're used to podcast about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a while I used to actually always have Steam chat open while I was playing games on Steam and it made me take a lot longer to get through games. Um I mean it was fun. I was I was chatting with people about the games I was playing while I was playing them and we had a lot of good conversations, but it was it did, you know, kind of impinge on my gaming a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um I mean, I still do it from time to time because I do, I do enjoy that, that social interaction because otherwise it is, it is kind of a lonely hobby. You know, you're just sitting there in front of a, a machine just, you know, fiddling with, with controls. Um, so it is nice to, to get people out of once in a while, but sometimes you do want that solitary feeling as well. Right, right. All right. So anything else you guys want to mention about your gaming habits or the way you play games? I, I will I, say that... I do want to talk about one quick thing, and I I think I've mentioned this before. Maybe we're talking about RPGs or something, but I really got to get out of the habit of saving, like, the ultimate item. Like, my example is, like, the Final Fantasy X potion. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. uh, How I play games, one of the most frustrating things about me is I always save these items that I should be using constantly. And um, by the time I – by the time I start to realize, oh, you know what? It's it's too late. I've already – I've already got – you know, I'm already too far down the. <laughs> the yeah, the I, I play way too conservatively. Use. Yeah, I don't. I conserve items too much. Yeah. Um, or I also tend to hoard items that I just sell. Like, I keep like right now again going back to what I'm playing. I'm playing Xenoblade Chronicles Two, and I have all these um, like accessories for my weapons that you know your weapons can only hold a certain number of accessories, or they're called ox cores in this game. Right. Um. I have like, I don't know, 200 ox cores. I don't need all of them, but I'm not <laughs> selling them for whatever reason. I could make so much gold, but I'm just holding on to them for like, oh, I could use this one in the future if I come across an enemy of this type. I'm never going to ch- swap it out. I don't know. I'm holding on to it. Um, yeah, so that, that's a bad habit that I definitely also share. Yeah. DL, you were saying something about habits? Oh. Well, my good habit, I, I guess I would say, is I, I've collected five and a half million steps on my 3DS. 
I will, I can carry it around in my pocket. I carry it around almost as often as I do my phone. So I always have, it's become my primary game machine. It's um, mostly because I travel, but also because of its accessibility. I mean, the, the ability to have the instant on, instant off, um, put it in your pocket, uh, always gives yeah, me so access. Yeah, so if you're just like waiting for the bus somewhere, you can pull it out, play for 10 minutes and put it back in. I can. And, and that's... Or if I'm waiting for, you know, if, if I'm at an airport, the problem with that lies that I still have that that issue of, of I believe I feel like there's a stigma in the public against games. So when I do pull my 3DS out on the plane or, or in an airport, I try to avoid games like Kirby Planet Robobot, for example. Um, the good thing about that is, is that I've learned more about the Egyptian antiquities in the Louvre. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but on the 3DS, there is a, a the Nintendo 3DS is used in the Louvre in Paris as the the art guide, and oh, nice. you can purchase you can purchase a copy of it for your 3DS, uh, both uh, physically at the Louvre or digitally. And I bought the digital version. And so then, when you take your personal 3DS to the Louvre, it will follow you around wow. and tell you where you are. So that's have, pretty amazing. It really is. They have audio commentary for over 350 artworks. Uh, it's actually more like 600, I think. Um, and so you can tour the entire Louvre, and they have a, a vast selection of of the artwork that they have, including an entire tour based on the Egyptian antiquities. And it's a family-based tour, so it has a little bit of a role-playing where you meet the Sphinx, um, as you leave the, the atrium underneath the pyramid and, and, uh, the voiceover character plays the, the Sphinx telling you about all of his friends in the museum and go visit them and, and learn more about life. So you're learning about the Egyptian antiquities and it's sort of a kid friendly sort of situation, That's but, interesting. oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's you know, really great to be able to set that up. And it's only like 15, 20 bucks. Um, yeah, so it's those a pretty good deal. Yes, I highly recommend it. But those are the types of things that I will pull out instead of games, or I'll pull out a game of pick cross, or um, or a turn based strategy, <laughs> and and I feel like sometimes that limits me a little bit in what I what I end up playing simply because I feel like there's a stigma associated with it, and I that's something that I need to get over. Yeah, I I can definitely feel it. Like I don't feel that stigma when I'm pulling out, say. Uh, like I'll take my Switch with me on the go, and I don't feel that stigma when I say pull out Mario or Mario Plus Rabbids or, or a game like that. But I definitely feel it with Xenoblade because some of the characters have like really skimpy outfits, and I don't know if I want to be seen playing that in public. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can definitely, I definitely feel that occasionally, that kind of stigma. Um, but for the most part, I'm just like, whatever. Haters can hate if they want to hate. <laughs> I don't even know these people right. anyway. Yeah, you don't owe them anything. <laughs> yeah, like you guys don't know who I am. Yeah, you'll never see me again. Um, so yeah, I, I've kind of, I, I do definitely feel it when I'm playing games that are, say, a little risque. I'm a little reluctant to take this out in public, but even then, yep. so I'm just, just kind of bite the bullet and, and go with it. All right, um, I think that's uh, it's been a good discussion. I think it's time to call this podcast to a close. Anything else you guys want to mention? No, I think that's it, man. It was a good, good podcast. Yeah, this is a good, this is a good chat. 
Thank you for having um, so, me on. Yeah, no problem. So let me just remind our listeners that if you'd like to get up to date with the podcast, we have a website, avocadogamescast.wordpress.com. We post every episode. We also post a link dump. We fact check ourselves sometimes. We try to be accurate. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play Music. And make sure you check out the community that spawned this podcast, The Avocado, at the-avocado.org. All right, guys. Thanks for being on. This is a great podcast. And uh, to listeners, thank you for listening. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. Bye.